0: Chapters three and four of OMU. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. OMU A Narrative of Adventures in the South Seas by Herman Melville. Chapter three. Further Account of the Julia. Owing to the absence of anything like regular discipline, the vessel was in a state of the greatest uproar. The captain, having for some time past been more or less confined to the cabin from sickness, was seldom seen. The mate, however, was as hardy as a young lion, and ran about the decks making himself heard at all hours. Bembo, the New Zealand harpeneer, held little intercourse with anybody but the mate, who could talk to him freely in his own lingo. Part of his time he spent out on the bowsprit, fishing for albacores with a bone-hook, and occasionally he waked all hands up of a dark night, dancing some cannibal fandango all by himself on the forecastle but upon the whole he was remarkably quiet, though something in his eye showed he was far from being harmless. Dr. Longhost, having sent in a written resignation as the ship's doctor, gave himself out as a passenger for Sydney, and took the world quite easy. As for the crew, those who were sick seemed marvelously contented for men in their condition, and the rest, not displeased with the general license, gave themselves little thought of the morrow. The Julia's provisions were very poor. When opened, the barrels of pork looked as if preserved in iron rust and diffused an odor like a stale ragout. The beef was worse yet, a mahogany-colored fibrous substance so tough and tasteless that I almost believed the cook's story of a horse's hoof with the shoe on having been fished up out of the pickle of one of the casks. Nor was the biscuit much better nearly all of it was broken into hard little gun-flints, honeycombed through and through, as if the worms usually infesting this article in long tropical voyages had, in boring after nutriment, come out at the antipodes without finding anything. Of what sailors call small stores we had but little. Tea, however, we had in abundance, though, I dare say, the Hong merchants never had the shipping of it. Besides this, every other day we had what english seamen call shot soup great round peas polishing themselves like pebbles by rolling about in tepid water it was afterwards told me that all our provisions had been purchased by the owners at an auction sale of condemned navy stores in sydney but notwithstanding the wateriness of the first course of soup and the saline flavor of the beef and pork a sailor might have made a satisfactory meal aboard of the julia had there been any side-dishes, a potato or two, a yam or a plantain, but there was nothing of the kind. Still there was something else, which, in the estimation of the men, made up for all the deficiencies, and that was the regular allowance of Pisco. It may seem strange that in such a state of affairs the captain should be willing to keep the sea with his ship, but the truth was that by lying in harbour He ran the risk of losing the remainder of his men by desertion, and as it was, he still feared that, in some outlandish bay or other, he might one day find his anchor down and no crew to weigh it. With judicious officers, the most unruly seamen can at sea be kept in some sort of subjection, but once get them within a cable's length of the land, and it is hard restraining them it is for this reason that many south-sea whalemen do not come to an anchor for eighteen or twenty months at a stretch when fresh provisions are needed they run for the nearest land heave to eight or ten miles off and send a boat ashore to trade the crews manning vessels like these are for the most part villains of all nations and dyes, picked up in the lawless ports of the spanish main and among the savages of the islands like galley-slaves, they are only to be governed by scourges and chains. Their officers go among them with dirk and pistol, concealed but ready at a grasp. Not a few of our own crew were men of the stamp, but riotous at times as they were, the bluff-drunken energies of German were just the thing to hold them in some sort of noisy subjection. Upon an emergency, he flew in among them, showering his kicks and cuffs right and left, and creating a sensation in every direction, and as hinted before, they bore this knockdown authority with great good humor. A sober, discreet, dignified officer could have done nothing with them, such a set would have thrown him and his dignity overboard. Matters being thus, there was nothing for the ship but to keep the sea. Nor was the captain without hope that the invalid portion of his crew, as well as himself would soon recover, and then there was no telling what luck in the fishery might yet be in store for us. At any rate, at the time of my coming aboard, the report was that Captain Guy was resolved upon retrieving the past and filling the vessel with oil in the shortest space possible. With this intention, we were now shaping our course for Heidi Hu, a village on the island of St. Christina, one of the Marquesas, and so named by Mendana for the purpose of obtaining eight seamen who some weeks before had stepped ashore there from the julia it was supposed that by this time they must have recreated themselves sufficiently and would be glad to return to their duty so to heidi who with all our canvas spread and coquetting with the warm breezy trades we bowled along gliding up and down the long slow swells the bonettas and albacores frolicking around us Chapter four a scene in the forecastle. I had hardly been aboard the ship twenty four hours when a circumstance occurred, which, although no ways picturesque, is so significant of the state of affairs that I cannot forbear relating it. In the first place, however, it must be known that among the crew was a man so excessively ugly that he went by the ironical appellation of beauty. He was the ship's carpenter and for that reason was sometimes known by his nautical cognomen of chips. There was no absolute deformity about the man, he was symmetrically ugly. But ill-favoured as he was in person, Beauty was none the less ugly in temper. But no one could blame him, his countenance had soured his heart. Now German and Beauty were always at sword's points. The truth was, The latter was the only man in the ship whom the mate had never decidedly got the better of, and hence the grudge he bore him. As for beauty, he prided himself upon talking up to the mate, as we shall soon see. Toward evening there was something to be done on deck, and the carpenter who belonged to the watch was missing. "'Where's that skulk, Chips?' shouted German down the forecastle scuttle. "'Taking his ease, d'ye see, down here on a chest, if you want to know,' replied that worthy himself, quietly withdrawing his pipe from his mouth. This insolence flung the fiery little mate into a mighty rage, but beauty said nothing, puffing away with all the tranquillity imaginable. Here it must be remembered that, never mind what may be the provocation, no prudent officer ever dreams of entering a ship's forecastle on a hostile visit.' If he wants to see anybody who happens to be there, and refuses to come up, why, he must wait patiently until the sailor is willing. The reason is this. The place is very dark, and nothing is easier than to knock one descending on the head before he knows where he is, and a very long while before he ever finds out who did it. Nobody knew this better than German, and so he contented himself with looking down the scuttle and storming. At last Beauty made some cool observation, which set him half-wild. "'Tumble on deck,' he then bellowed. "'Come up with you, or I'll jump down and make you.' The carpenter begged him to go about it at once. No sooner said than done. Prudence forgotten, German was there, and by a sort of instinct had this man by the throat before he could well see him. One of the men now made a rush at him, but the rest dragged him off, protesting that they should have fair play. "'Now come on deck!' shouted the mate, struggling like a good fellow to hold the carpenter fast. "'Take me there!' was the dogged answer, and Beauty wriggled about in the nervous grasp of the other, like a couple of yards of boa constrictor. His assailant now undertook to make him up into a compact bundle, the more easily to transport him. While thus occupied, Beauty got his arms loose and threw him over backward. But German quickly recovered himself, when for a time they had it every way, dragging each other about, bumping their heads against the projecting beams, and returning each other's blows the first favorable opportunity that offered. Unfortunately, German at last slipped and fell, his foe seating himself on his chest and keeping him down now this was one of those situations in which the voice of counsel or reproof comes with peculiar unction nor did beauty let the opportunity slip but the mate said nothing in reply only foaming at the mouth and struggling to rise just then a thin tremor of a voice was heard from above it was the captain who happening to ascend to the quarter-deck at the commencement of the scuffle would gladly have returned to the cabin but was prevented by the fear of ridicule. As the din increased and it became evident that his officer was in serious trouble, he thought it would never do to stand leaning over the bulwarks, so he made his appearance on the forecastle, resolved as his best policy to treat the matter lightly. "'Why, why,' he began, speaking pettishly and very fast, "'what's all this about? Mr. German, Mr. German, carpenter, carpenter, what are you doing down there?' Come on deck, come on deck. Whereupon Dr. Longghost cries out in a squeak, Ah, Miss Guy, is that you? Now, my dear, go right home or you'll get hurt. Poo-poo, you, sir, whoever you are, I was not speaking to you. None of your nonsense. Mr. German, I was talking to you. Have the kindness to come on deck, sir. I want to see you. And how in the devil's name am I to get there? cried the mate furiously. Jump down here, Captain Guy, and show yourself a man. Let me up, you chips. Unhand me, I say. Oh, I'll pay you for this some day. Come on, Captain Guy. At this appeal, the poor man was seized with a perfect spasm of fidgets. Poo-poo, carpenter, have done with your nonsense. Let him up, sir, let him up, do you hear? Let Mr. German come on deck. "'Go along with you, Pepper Jack,' replied Beauty. "'This quarrel's between the mate and me, "'so go aft where you belong.' "'As the captain once more dipped his head down the scuttle "'to make answer, from an unseen hand he received, "'full in the face, the contents of a tin can "'of soaked biscuit and tea-leaves. "'The doctor was not far off just then. "'Without waiting for anything more, "'the discomfited gentleman, with both hands to his streaming face, retreated to the quarter-deck. A few moments more, and German, forced to a compromise, followed after, in his torn frock and scarred face, looking for all the world as if he had just disentangled himself from some intricate piece of machinery. For about half an hour both remained in the cabin, where the mate's rough tones were heard high above the low, smooth voice of the captain. Of all his conflicts with the men, This was the first in which German had been worsted, and he was proportionably enraged. Upon going below, as the steward afterward told us, he bluntly informed Guy that, for the future, he might look out for the ship himself. For his part, he was done with her, if that was the way he allowed his officers to be treated. After many high words, the captain finally assured him that the first fitting opportunity the carpenter would be cordially flogged. Though, as matters stood, the experiment would be a hazardous one. Upon this, German reluctantly consented to drop the matter for the present, and he soon drowned all thoughts of it in a can of flip, which Guy had previously instructed the steward to prepare as a sop to allay his wrath. Nothing more ever came of this. End of chapters three and four. Recording by Tricia G.